the roll and go. Where am I to go, me Johnny? Where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. I am so grateful you have chosen to listen to me and to go on the travels and see the things and go to the museums that we have managed to go through for the last two seasons. I have really enjoyed doing this podcast, and I hope you stick with me. It makes me happy to know that people are enjoying what I do. On another note, I want to make sure that everybody knows that we are on Facebook at Where Am I To Go podcast. We have lots of pictures. We have places that we go that we don't do podcasts on. And we have lots of things to see and think about when you decide you're going to travel or if you're just interested in learning about different places that we go. Also, we have an email account at whereamitogopodcast at gmail.com. And if anybody has any comments, ideas, thoughts, you are more than welcome to email me there, and I will do my best to answer, and we'll see where everything goes this season. I've got some neat things lined up, and I hope everybody is ready to go for a museum tour ride. Today we are in Waco, Texas, and Waco, Texas is the home of Dr. Pepper soft drinks. And today we are going to be at the Dr. Pepper Museum with Mary Beth. She's going to take us through this museum, and I'm excited to hear about all the details of Dr. Pepper. Welcome, Mary Mary Beth. (laughs) Good morning. Thank you for being here. Well, uh, we pulled into Waco and stopped at your museum yesterday. This place was an absolute madhouse. You had so many people here. You said it's spring break, uh, you didn't have time to do the podcast with us yesterday, but you've made a special effort to get us in here while it's quiet and take us through. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Dr. Pepper? Sure. So yeah, like you said, Waco is the home of Dr. Pepper. It was invented um, just a couple blocks from where we are now in 1885. It was invented at a drugstore. And the building that we're in today is the original bottling plant that was built specifically to bottle Dr. Pepper and house the company headquarters. So they were in a couple of temporary locations before this. Um, but when Dr. Pepper was introduced at the 1904 World's Fair, it Where really... Where was that fair? It was in St. Louis. St. Louis, mm-hmm. okay. And it really became uh, very popular. And so they were able to build the building specifically to do that production. Wow. Okay, so you said that it was created in a pharmacy. Is Was it a some sort of an elixir for medical purposes, or was it just a pharmacist dinking around and deciding, hey, this stuff tastes pretty good, a lot better than the cod liver oil my grandmother gave me? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the old corner drugstore was a, it had a pharmacy and it had a soda fountain. Okay. And it was billed as being the biggest and best in Texas. So it was a really popular place for people to come to the soda fountain, but also to go to the pharmacy. And the pharmacist there was Dr. Charles Alderton. And he is the person credited with inventing Dr. Pepper. And even though he was a pharmacist, he did not invent it as a medicine. He okay. invented it as a recreational drink for people to enjoy when they came into the soda fountain 
And most of the soft drinks back then were simple. They had one or two flavors maybe, um, but he really enjoyed, because of his kind of chemistry background, um, he enjoyed mixing more than uh, one or two flavors together. And of course, we know today that he put 23 flavors together to create the unique taste of Dr. Pepper. So it's probably a secret. It is a secret, yes, <laughs> yes. Nobody knows the full formula. Um, yeah, so it, it was really popular when he invented it. It was just called a Waco. People would just come in and ask for a Waco, and then when it became more popular, um, it got an official name, which was Dr. Pepper. So did it have the Dr. Pepper name on it when it was at the World's Fair? It did, yes. It did, okay. And so when did he actually invent the, the soft drink? It was in 1885. 1885, so he had it going for 20 years before yeah. it actually got thrown out to the public in a large scale. Yeah, I think when we look back, that seems like not a long period of time, but when you think of everything that had to happen for it to just be available in one drugstore here in Waco to it being introduced um, at the World's Fair, and they actually had um, a bottling facilities set up in St. Louis um, prior to 1904, in preparation for the World's Fair to produce really? all the syrup and the bottles that they were going to have there. And so they had to expand and grow a lot in a pretty short period of time. Um, yeah. Well, and have the vision to be able to take it to that level. I mean, yeah. you had millions of people coming to the World's Fair versus 150 people coming to the pharmacy every week, every day. Right, right. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's good to put in perspective, too, that Waco at that time was a pretty large city. It was um, bigger than Dallas-Fort Worth at the time. Was it really? It's because it was the crossroads on the river of okay. people bringing, uh, you know, crossing the country and being able to um, safely cross the river over the suspension bridge, um, which was very dangerous, you know, before that. And so the bridge was one of the only places you could cross safely. And so a lot of people came through Waco. The Old Corner Drug Store was a big place, very popular. So it got a lot of exposure pretty quick. Well, and I guess when you look at the map, that makes a lot of sense, too. You've got Abilene, which was a big cattle shipping area. You've got uh, Fort Worth and a couple of other big shipping places not far from Waco. Yeah. So I guess it, it makes sense that it was a crossroad. So you ended up with a lot of cowboys coming in and drinking Dr. Pepper on <laughs> yes, their way. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now you said that it's that its recipe is uh, not known by anybody. Of course, it's known by somebody, but uh, right. it's it's kept pretty much under lock and key. Or how it do is. how do they keep that uh, so secret? So we actually are lucky enough to have the head beverage chemist from Keurig Dr. Pepper on our board and he's lovely and he helps us with so many things that we do in the soda fountain and he has kind of uh, shed some light on how this process works and basically no one person knows the whole recipe, right? So it's the responsibilities of making the drink from start to finish, the different parts of the process are divided up. Um, between people so that really? it's not one person holding the information. Okay. Now, were a lot of, the, and this is kind of not necessarily Dr. Pepper related, but uh, some of the other early soft drinks were medicinal drinks. Is that is that a misconception that I have? or No, it, it absolutely is true. I mean, you know, Pepsi was created in a pharmacy, and Coca-Cola, of course, was, you know, it had the cocaine in it, which was supposed to be medicinal, 
Um, and Dr. Pepper, while not invented as a medicine, was certainly marketed as a healthy drink, something to uh, drink for your you know, health and general well-being, um, just like a lot, you know, just like basic carbonated water was also. So all carbonated water, whether it had flavor in it or not, was seen as a health beverage, basically. Okay. And has Dr. Pepper done anything in the way of uh, perverting its original recipe like some of the other manufacturers have? Yeah, I mean, of course, it's very different today than it was then. I mean, there are, you know, preservatives and different food colorings and things that would not have been in it back then to help shelf life, um, especially with the diet versions of the drink. Um, but originally, Dr. Pepper did not have caffeine in it, and that was one of their selling points. One of their original kind of taglines was free from caffeine, um, dr free from drugs and caffeine, which was, of course a poke at Coca-Cola with their right. uh, cocaine <laughs> in it. Um, and then in the 19-teens, they, uh, they added the caffeine. And why did they add it. the caffeine? I think it was just that was the uh, public's want. Do you know what I mean? Like that part of the drink was that they wanted that energy boost. Kind of like energy drinks mm -hmm. now. Yes, okay. exactly. And that actually was a precursor into one of their most popular ad campaigns and longest running ad campaigns, which was Drink a Bite to Eat at 10, 2, and 4, uh, which oh. are obviously people who you know love are very nostalgic for Dr. Pepper and know that you are supposed to drink your Dr. Pepper at 10, 2, and 4. Um, that's when your blood sugar dips during the day, and that okay. gives you that boost of sugar and caffeine. And um, so you know, it's just exactly like modern day uh, uh, energy drinks. Okay, yeah, I had noticed the 10, 2, and 4, mm -hmm. and I wasn't sure what that was all about. <laughs> yeah, and that ad campaign ran from the 1920s to the 1960s. So it was very, I mean, they, it was incorporated in all of their advertisements in some way. Okay. Um, for a very long time. Okay. Well, so now as we walk on into the, to the lobby, we, we pay for our tickets, and then we come into another fairly decent-sized room and, and uh, come into the first gallery, which has... Uh, soda fountain set up. We've got, yes. uh, I'm assuming, Dr. Pepper, <laughs> d uh, Dr. Al Alderton, Alderton mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. standing in his pharmacy window and some old pharmaceutical type bottles. Uh, yes, yes. So actually, we skipped it a little bit, but our first gallery that you'll go through is called Healing Waters, and that is all about carbonated water like kind of the history of carbonated water and artesian wells okay. before you even get to the invention of Dr. Pepper. So we take it back a little bit um, okay. to start with. And then, yes, you come into this room, which is our recreation of the old corner drugstore based on some photographs we have from the time period. Um, it's, you know, there's not a ton going on in here because we like to leave lots of space for people to walk around. Um, but Doc Alderton does talk to you. He's an animatronic. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Does he uh, say some cool things? Um, honestly, he says about what I just said to you. Oh, I basically okay. <laughs> just, I, I have his speech memorized. and well, that's, good. A, that's what... Uh, You've you heard know, it before. I, I have, yes. <laughs> yes, sir, I have. <laughs> um, so he generally gives a, a history like I just did um, to visitors. But of course, you know, the especially with the kids, it's just oh, yeah. the, the wow factor of him moving and everything like that. So... And you've got the, the little mosaic tile floor with diamonds, just like what it would have been mm -hmm. uh, back in the day. And a really nice marble uh, soda fountain bar. 
Thank you, yes. This is, it is, a, this this is, is a, a really clean, nice display. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it is um, a lot smaller than the old corner drugstore would have right. been, but um, like I said, yeah, based on um, some awesome photographs we have of it during that time period. So. Well, let's go back and let's go backwards and sure. talk about the, the uh, carbonated water and some of that since we skipped that way. <laughs> when we first came in, they're doing some construction in here and, and with the construction it was noisy so we went and found a quiet place. Yes, so we're trying to get away from all of the, all the noise. Yeah, so this is actually one of our newer long-term exhibits. Um, this space used to be the gift shop uh, before the museum expanded. Okay. And then when this building was a bottling plant, this room was uh, where everyone gathered in the morning to get their uh, route instructions. Oh, so while okay. it does not have anything to do with healing waters, we have the original chalkboard up here um, where they would write in their uh, different sales and assignments for the day on their route. So well, that's pretty cool. Uh, this is kind of an homage to what this room was used for originally. But yeah, we, we listening to our visitors, you know, wanted to kind of set the museum up in a little more of a chronological order. Okay. Um, and so that's why we added this Healing Waters exhibit was to start, um, you know, their kind of journey through the museum right at the beginning, you know, when artesian water was discovered and used as a healing method. So. Now, do you guys use artesian water for the Dr. Pepper? So we don't today, but one of the most popular places in the museum is our uh, original artesian well, okay. um, which we have open for people. I mean, obviously you can't go in it, but you know, it's, um, <laughs> we have restored it and you can look down inside of it and people really love to see the well. And it was the original source of water in this building. That's why they built this building where they did, because they knew they could drill a well here and get water for the Dr. Peppers. So we'll go see that in a minute. But okay. um, this kind of sets that up for people to understand why that's there and what it would have been used for. And you've got a lot of, uh, well, you've got history going from 1340 all the way up to 1886 with different uh, timelines of water and and some of that I'm assuming that wasn't uh, carbonated water at that point in time. Well, but. you know, there's, there is um, kind of mineral water, which, right. which depending on where you are comes up from the ground with those natural minerals in it that gives it that carbonated bubbly, um, you know, quality. And then um, one of the, um, I need, would need to look at it exactly, yeah, 1772, um, Joseph Priestley, who's kind of the father of the soft drink industry, he discovered how to artificially carbonate okay. water um, with carbon dioxide. And his book here, which I just love the title, which is Directions for Impregnating Water with Fixed Air. Um, well, and he was a pre Presbyterian <laughs> minister, so. <laughs> so I just love that. And... Um, so, yes, 1772, obviously it was happening before that, but he wrote the book on it, literally, and kind of started the industry. And then from there, you can see the different bottles, um, Schweppes, which is obviously a brand we still know today. They, uh, you know, they still sell carbonated water that you can get for your bar. Right. Um, whatever you want. Wow. And, yeah, that, that's an old bottle. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's from 1831. 
That is really interesting. And you've got several other bottles that are, that are pretty old. Yeah, so these all definitely predate uh, Dr. Pepper and what we were doing in this building. But. So, okay. Well, let's... Yeah, well, let's go see the well. Let's go... The well. Yeah, let's go see the well. Lassie hasn't had to go get anybody to rescue Timmy or anything, has he? No, but, you know, when we used to give tours to kids... Uh, uh, I always liked to joke with them a little bit because, of course, the kids always wanted to know if anybody had fallen down the well. <laughs> so when I stepped in as tour guide, I always liked to give them a hard time. But Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Okay, so, so we're looking at a well. They've got uh, the glass bricks around it that come up about two and a half feet high and a rail so that you can't fall down it. And then it's got plexiglass covering the top, and it is a brick-lined well that's probably five foot in diameter and goes down, I'm guessing it goes down 75 to 100 feet? Well, um, well. <laughs> we don't know how far down it actually goes. Where you see it uh, restored to today, which was the water line, is 27 and a half feet. That's all? It does look a lot deeper than that, yes. Okay. So the story of the well is actually really interesting. It's part of why everybody loves it so much is that um, when we were restoring this building to make it into a museum, the well was actually covered up. Okay. And they had to kind of find it, um, which is weird because obviously there's a giant hole in the ground now. But um, when they found the well and started to uncover it, they discovered that the entire well was full of broken bottles. And you can see oh, really? the bottles. The, this is just a little cross-section of some of the bottles we found in there. And then those are some of the more intact pieces we found in there. And so they had to dig all of the bottles and debris up out of the well to restore it to the way you see it today. And they discovered that the reason it was full is that in the 1920s there was a drought in Waco. Okay. And they didn't want people using the indoor water sources. They wanted the city to have more control over the water sources um, for the businesses and people using the wells. And so they ordered all wells to be, indoor wells to be um, discontinued use. Really? And so in this building, they basically just used it as a big trash can and just threw. Um, this was the room that we're in right now where they would have done the bottling. You can see in the black and white photographs on the wall. Um, okay. Those are pictures taken in this room um, from about our vantage point. So the bottling happened in this room, and when they would go through the bottle washer, or you know, and they were weak and would break or something, they would just throw them in the well. So we had a lot of work that we had to do to get it to um, looking as nice as it does now. And it's a pretty clear day, and you might be able to see that there are still bottles down there. They just quit uh, digging when they hit the water line. Wow. So that's why I say we don't know exactly how deep it went, but... Um, and this was an artesian well, or it was not an artesian well? It was an artesian well. It was, mm -hmm. so the water would just kind of keep coming up. Absolutely, yes, yes. And it wow. still does. I mean, it, uh, you know, obviously not to the same uh, levels as it did then, but, I mean, the water is, uh, you know, higher or lower, depending on how much rain we've had, and clear or muddy depending on how much rain we've had so um yeah well that would have been the same back in the day right yes but probably not to the same level because this is um 
closed off, so it has a little ecosystem kind of happening okay. in there. You well, know what I mean? That it would not have had. Well, I was just wondering if the muddy. Used, I was just know? wondering if the muddy part affected the drink at all. Well, the water was um, purified, so it went through a process okay. to be cleaned before it okay. was used in the bottles. Yeah. And that, that process actually happened up on the third floor of this building. And now, did you guys end up with recycled bottles in here? You said you washed the bottles and all of that kind of stuff. And I know that recycling bottles was a big thing back uh, when I was a kid. You know, that was yes. the way we made enough money to buy an ice cream cone. Was we'd walk the, walk the parking lots and pick up the Coca-Cola or Dr. Pepper mm -hmm. 7-Up bottles, whatever they happened to be, and then turn them back in. And I didn't know if they crushed those and remade the bottles or if they just cleaned those. Nope, they just cleaned them. So if you look over at this picture on this wall, you can see this is a picture, again, about from this vantage point, but maybe a little bit further down because this is the bottle washer in the building. Okay. So you can see that the, this side of the bottle washer was facing the outside. So okay. when they would bring the wagons or the trucks full of empty bottles back in, they would load the dirty bottles on that side they would go through the bottle washer and then come out on this side where they were then inspected before they went and were refilled so nope they were that's why they um, spent so much time refilling them is because bottle you know they were thick and they were expensive oh, yeah, to make yeah. so they were very uh you know invested in using them over and over again but after the, the chemicals that were used in this bottle washer were very strong um, and after the bottles were washed so many times they could become weak and break. So that's partially how the well became full. And how so. about the labeling? Uh, did the labels wash off when they washed the bottles or? Um, so this, <laughs> this is a little bit later than when they would have had paper labels. Right. I, I, I think they would just reapply the paper labels then. And I'm also not sure like back in the early days when they were using the paper labels, which was super early days, right? Like in the 1880s. They were using paper labels. Yes. I don't okay. know that the bottle washing was as big. <laughs> they also weren't as big of an operation. So I don't know what level of bottle washing was happening then. But pretty quickly, they started using embossed bottles. Okay. Um, which are what you see in this picture. These are all going to be embossed bottles with no paper label on them. So they could withstand that bottle okay. washing process. That's interesting. And then you've got, uh, well, let's talk about these pictures. You've got the bottling... Uh, pitchers. We just talked about the washing pitcher, but you've got all the machinery for all of this process sitting here also, yes. along with a very nice uh, display <laughs> explaining what each one of the uh, machines was used for and how it was used in the, in the factory. Yeah. And you can see a big picture in the back that shows mm -hmm. men working at all of the different machines. So this machinery that's in here is not the original machinery to this building. That was all long gone before right. we you know, came in and started restoring the building, but it's all machinery from the different time periods that would have been used in this building. Starting with the earliest one, which is this hand filler and capper over here, and then going up to the more automated processes. But you can see in the pictures, um, I'm not sure if we might come over here, that they're used, that both are being used, right? Right. So they're using over on the other side, the more automated versions, and then over on this side, you can see um, this guy right here is standing behind a machine that looks exactly like this one. Right, exactly. So even though that was the earliest machine, they didn't get rid of it. They kept using it, you know. 
Um, so we had guys. You had different processes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they would have been used at different times and some at the same time in this building. But yeah, this is a picture taken in this room, um, again, from about our vantage point. And we're very excited because our next big um, fundraising opportunity that we're doing is to um, totally redo this space. And we are going to be talking a lot about the actual people who worked here and their oh. stories, because there are some really fascinating stories of the people who really you know, spent their lives um, working here and doing this process. And we're gonna be telling the bottling story. And we're also hoping to be able to, obviously the well will stay where it is and how it is, but we want to remove the barriers and make it so people can really walk over the well. Oh, wouldn't that be I cool? I know, that, and it would just create more <laughs> space in here, but also um, just be a really awesome experience. So we have a lot of great plans for this room. This is one of our uh, original exhibits in the building. So okay. it hasn't changed a lot. And we're really excited to do some new stuff with it. We have a lot of. I'll great, have to come back again. Yeah, we have so many great objects that we want to bring out and show as well. So. And then you've got a really nice bottle display. This being a Dr. Pepper museum, I'm surprised to see a big red and a Seven Up and uh, several other bottles in here. But it's mostly Dr. Pepper. Yeah. So. Fun fact about the museum. Okay. We are not a corporate museum. We are not owned or operated by Dr. Pepper. Oh. We're an independent nonprofit. We are a history museum. So, cool. Okay. Um, you know, we, uh, all of our funding or the majority of our funding comes from our visitors coming in the door. And we tell the story of the entire soft drink industry, not just Dr. Pepper. Okay. Um, obviously, we focus on Dr. Pepper a lot, but there are a lot of brands in the Dr. Pepper portfolio today. And then we also include, you know, Coke and Pepsi brands in that. Uh, okay. Story yeah, I was going to well. say I see so. a, Coke, a Coke bottle and a Neff's dry ginger ale and just a lot of the old bottles, the and old? some of the newer stuff. I mean, yeah. you got to write on up to the to the more modern cans and and labeling. And Seven Up, you'll see a lot because Seven Up is kind of the other big flagship brand in Dr Pepper's portfolio. Oh, okay. uh, today and we have we just have a lot of um, seven up objects and information so we we like to tell the seven up story as well okay and then you've got some gallon i've never seen gallon dr pepper so these are specifically for syrup so that okay. would have a large amount of syrup in it that the uh, would go to soda fountains okay and the soda fountains would have a, a like ratio recipe for making it into, you know, a ratio of syrup to carbonated water to make it into the Dr. Peppers. So this is like before the tin, the yeah. metal canisters that you just plug in and, mm -hmm. okay. Or the, you know, we just, we call them bag in the boxes today. Okay, you know, Just a yeah. giant bag of syrup that's hooked up to the soda machines. So, yep, that's the the precursor to that. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so then the the different soda fountains like in the 50s and stuff were, mm -hmm. would buy this to add to their mm -hmm. little carbonated water. Yep. That's cool. And then you have a this syrup dispenser in the middle here. This is a reproduction syrup dispenser, but this would um, have the syrup in it, would sit out on the counter, and they would put a glass that already had carbonated water under oh. it and dispense it a little bit. So it's much smaller quantities, but okay. uh, they they liked everything to be very fancy back then. So, well, <laughs> yes, I, which I think, we love. We love that. Yeah. Um, and a lot of your bottles, you've got some bottles over here and this other display that are all uh, 
I think you use the word embossed, but I'm not sure as far as the, mm -hmm. the words are, are protruding instead of yes. the glass bottle being smooth. And they, there was, they used um, embossing and debossing. So, you know, it going into the glass on different oh. occasions. Um, but really this display is meant more to, um, to show the different closures that they used. Um, making oh, okay. sure that a bottle with carbonated a carbonated beverage in it stayed closed tightly and the carbonation stayed good was a problem <laughs> that took a long time to perfect. And obviously, we're, it's still not perfect. I mean, soft drinks have shelf life, but you can see all the different... Um, yeah. With the little marbles that you would pop down out of the uh, rubber gaskets, and then they would stay up there. And it has that little notch in it because you could tilt it up to drink it and the marble would get caught up there so oh, the, really? the soda could flow out and then you have the Hutchinson stoppers which is like a little metal thing you popped down you had corks and then finally the invention that really um, became the standard in the soft drink industry was the crown cork and seal so that was a bottle cap like we know it today but it had cork a cork lining right. inside of it yeah um, and so obviously we still Pretty much use that today okay so. yeah these are really interesting that marble one the <clears throat> the marble well the the bottle has a little pocket on the inside so that when you push the marble down that's being pushed up by the carbonation that had to have been kind of tricky to get the seal anyway you must have had to turn it upside down or something in order to get the i'm going to be very honest i do not know what is, the process was for yeah that's just but really yes, interesting. Nothing that could really be done in on a mass scale easily. And know? and soda loses its carbonation so doggone quick mm -hmm. anyway. I mean, Anyways, you leave it yeah. out on the table for three hours and it's a non-carbonated drink. Right, right. And these little stoppers, uh, some of them have a little wire handle that you can pull the stopper up in order to seal it. But I would think that that'd be really hard to keep it sealed. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting because, I mean, you can see some over here, the um, Lighten Stopper, they, that is exactly like, I mean, we still have like jars. Right. You know what I mean? Or yeah, the jars with the little use. snap down. Yeah, that is the exact same With thing, a rubber seal on today. it. So um, just a really interesting snapshot of the inventions that uh, they kind of went through to get to what actually worked. So. Wow, this is so cool. <laughs> it really is. So on the other two floors, on this, I can just kind of tell you what we have up there, and you can decide if you want to go up there. We can okay. go next door. Um, we have um, on the second floor is really our temporary exhibit spaces um, where we bring in um, different exhibits, either traveling exhibits from other institutions or ones that we create here in-house um, to show up there. Our big one right now is called The Backyard. It's just talking about um, Dr. Pepper's or soft drink in general they're advertising any outdoor like okay um so you know with football we have a larry culpepper display up there people love larry culpepper um and then on the third floor we have some information about one of the founders of the doctor or one of he wasn't a founder but he was a founder of the museum but a president and ceo of the dr pepper company as well as a little bit more information about that 1024 story okay. um and then we have a bunch more stuff in the other building, so you just can decide where you want to go next. Well, 
Can we jump on upstairs and talk about some of your advertising? Sure. I remember... Uh, you can take the elevator. That's okay. okay. An elevator? I know. It's How a sweet new is elevator. That? So I'm uh, not tempted to take the stairs because the elevator should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's very Do you have difficult. an elevator phobia? No, it's just we recently <laughs> redid the elevator. And you can imagine in a building this old that... Uh, Putting in an elevator to begin with like this was a challenge, and then after it had been in operation for about 25 years, um, updating that elevator uh, was a challenge. So it's a brand new elevator, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry, I wanna go to. In the other building, yeah, that's where our soda fountain is, and then we have um, a bunch of other exhibits. Uh, we have like a mock bottling line. We have some large wagons. We have a transportation exhibit, and we also have some information about Big Red, which is the other major soft drink that was invented in Waco. Oh, really? Okay. I'm not really familiar with Big Red. Was it a Dr. Pepper kind of? No. I mean, it it is owned by Dr. Pepper now, but it's it, it was not affiliated with it originally. Let me turn the lights on for you guys. Okay. And as we come into this room, we've got an old, probably Model T C, uh, C cab uh, truck that I'm sure was used as a delivery truck with an old gas pump and some more pictures of uh, Dr. Pepper at gas stations and at old grocery stores and some of the advertising that way. They've got a little... Uh, I'd, I'd consider it kind of a southern look store uh, that you would see maybe in the movies when you're looking at a 1920s, 1930s setting. Uh, all kind of decked out, has some motor oil and some lemons and tomatoes and, of course, Dr. Pepper. We got Dr. Pepper signs, uh, Dr. Pepper awnings over the windows, and... This, yeah, is, this, this is, is really a neat display. It's one of our, another one of the most popular ones we have here, just kind of that uh, vintage uh, gas station feel. But we also like to use this space to talk about um, Dr. Pepper's expansion. Sorry, I turned the lights on and then the radio show <laughs> came on. <laughs> um, Dr. Pepper's expansion with uh, vehicles. You know, when Dr. Pepper was invented, you couldn't get you know, Dr. Pepper to these little rural drug right. stores. But then... Um, when the, uh, this is a 1924 Model T pickup truck, um, when those became standard in the fleets, you could really uh, get Dr. Pepper um, out to all of the little country stores. And Dr. Pepper is a southern brand, you know, it was created in the south, and there's a lot of spaces between um, these little stores in Texas, so. Well, how did they distribute after the 1904 World Fair? Uh, you had to have gotten a worldwide market at that point in time. How did they distribute it? Um, so it's a franchise system. So okay. they would make, you know, uh, have contracts with either existing bottling companies or, um, you know, if I was just a person who wanted to open a Dr. Pepper bottling franchise, um, that contract would be signed with the company and then um, you would... Uh, they would send the syrups from they here? They would send the syrups, yes. And okay. then you would bottle at your facility. Okay. And did it go worldwide after the World Fair? I mean, um, was it in, in Europe and places like that? No, not until later. Okay. Yeah, not until later. So Foots Clements, who's one of the founders of the museum, and he was a 
um, a CEO and president in the uh, 70s and 80s. He's during his tenure, they really did a lot of work at um, taking Dr. Pepper global. Okay. So. Okay. And now we're in the... The backyard. The backyard. <laughs> this is really cool. You've got lots of uh, different ads uh, from several different uh, companies. Again, we got Canada Dry, 7-Up. These look like they're out of a 1950s, 1960s mm -hmm. magazines. You've got a wall uh, hanging that's probably four by eight or somewhere in there with uh, a kid drinking Dr. Pepper and playing football in the middle here. And it says it gives you the go. Enjoy Dr. Pepper at 10, 2, and 4 o'clock. I guess it helps you play football. That's right, yeah. At least that's what they wanted you to think back then. This, that ad was from 1949. Was that from 1949? Mm -hmm. So this is not an original ad. In this space we have done, I mean it is, but it's a, it's a uh, big blow up of it. Oh, okay. You know, we scanned it at really high resolution. And uh, we really wanted people to be able to uh, see uh, see them really well and not be a teeny, okay. tiny little newspaper ad. So. I thought maybe it was one that was on the outside of a no, or on a wall of a store or something. And then we come on in here. We got Smart Lift, a girl holding a fishing rod with a Dr Pepper cooler, which is in this case right here. <laughs> it's a it's one of the old metal. Uh, Lunchbox. It's bigger than a lunchbox, but not mm -hmm. as big as a as a normal cooler. Yeah, it would was be. really marketed for people to take like on a picnic, or right? Like, on you know a fishing trip, kind of like what we would think of as like a yeti or something today, right? Um, except they're like super heavy, like a lot heavier than a cooler. Uh, people is were tougher today. back then. Sure, sure, yeah, much stronger, <laughs> much stronger. Um, but this iconic kind of fifties and sixties um, mint green. Uh, handheld cooler is one of the most popular Dr. Pepper collectibles. Is it? Yes. Wow. And then you've just got lots of, lots of different ads. So your marketing, uh, is there a, what am I trying to say here? Is there a philosophy that you guys have with your marketing as far as how to get it out there? Do you have big marketing center? Uh, how, does, how does the marketing program work? Sure. So, I mean, we're not corporate Dr. Peppers, so right. we don't have any part. I keep thinking that, that you are. No, I, I, yeah. I need to back out of this. No, you're okay. I mean, <laughs> they have an advertising agency that works with them that does all of their marketing and advertising. Um, but obviously, as a museum, we hold all of their um, historic advertisements, um, anything from paper to you know the cans to film and uh, audio files. Uh, and those went through different advertising agencies over the years. So we kind of tell that story here, but we don't have anything uh, to do with their current. Well, you do a really nice job of telling the story. I love all the old ads. They're Thank a lot you. of fun to look at. Thank you. We like to use, really use this space for, for these large temporary exhibits like this. The last one we had was all about soft drink failures and all of the drinks like Crystal Pepsi or New Coke, things like that that were kind of um, trendy or uh, people trying new things but failing, but also kind of talking about that entrepreneurial spirit of, you know, you're not gonna succeed unless you try. Right. And, and soft drinks have certainly not all been successes. So we, t we really kind of uh, highlighted all of those. That was a really fun exhibit. So yeah, we have a lot of stuff in our 
um, historic collections and archives that is not on on display. So we really use the second floor up here as a place to highlight some of those things. And how often do you trade those um, out? About once a year. Okay. Yeah. So you need to come back every year in order to see. Yes, and we do lots of little uh, adjustments. uh, Well, that's really cool. Throughout the year. Okay. And what else did you have here on the second floor? Um, the other, well, we have our TV commercials. Uh, we have a room where you can watch Dr. Pepper commercials. Okay. That will be loud, so we won't go in there, but um, that is one of the If you didn't the get other, enough of them when yeah. you were watching TV as a kid, you get to sit in there and watch them again. That is a really popular, popular room. And then the rest of the floor, um, we, just, we have a timeline of advertisements that would have um, come out when this building was in operation as a bottling facility. Um, so that's what this wall is. Wow, this is really cool because you're, you're going back to 1905 to 1915. And you can, you can see the definite styles of, yes. of advertisement and the way they've changed through 1965. It's, it's really cool. I mean, the, the fashions and the, mm-hmm. and the backgrounds and, and everything. You get a whole different uh, feel for each time zone. So yeah, this, this is just focusing on when this building was in use as right. a bottling plant. Um, so that's a ni- an interesting little um, you know time stamp. And then in the other in the room just beyond this wall, we have an exhibit that's all about um, research and development for soft okay. drinks because that room would have been used where they um, made the syrups okay. in this building. And um, also they didn't just bottle and sell Dr Pepper from here. They had. A variety of other soft drinks, um, including my most famous or my most favorite one to tell everybody, which was celery champagne, which they sold. Okay, out of here. tell us about <laughs> celery champagne. I mean, I've never, you know, obviously had the original formula, but it was one of their really popular drinks that they manufactured and sold out of here. So, and was it alcoholic? No. Oh, mm-hmm. it was. It was just, a... just a fancy celery drink. I don't know what that means, but. <laughs> I can't even, uh, I'm not a celery fan. So. No, no. And we actually do sell a, um, a modern celery drink uh, here at the museum um, in a can. Um, so if you all are feeling brave later, you can grab one of those. Do you like it? <laughs> you know, it's not terrible. Susie, have you tried it? No. It's not terrible. Uh, it's much lighter and more subtle than you would think it's going to be. It has a heck of an aftertaste. I will say that. Huh. I guess I'm going to have to get a can or a bottle. Cans, yeah. And uh, just so I can say I've experienced it, (laughs) I'm always up for something new. Good, good. And then you said you had another building over here that has a soda fountain in it. We do, yes. That's where our soda fountain is. And then we have another large exhibit gallery over there. And what's in that exhibit gallery? Um, We have our mock 7-Up bottling line, which is a bottling line that... You know, it's not well, can we go take a look at that? Absolutely. Let's okay. go over. Let's okay. see it. Let's, let's go, go down, see that. Let's go down these stairs right here. I know you're extremely busy, and I'm not trying to take up all your time. No, but. you're good. <laughs> we like to show off what we've got going on here. Now, your admission fees, as long as we're taking a walk, sure. are what for adults? 
So our highest admission fee is $10, and that's for um, just a general adult admission. We have a couple of discounts. Uh, we have a senior discount, an educator discount, military discount, and students and kids are $6. Okay. And then uh, four years old and under are free. Okay. And with that admission, uh, you get admission to all the different places as far as the, the buildings? Uh-huh. You get access to both buildings all day, so you can leave and then come back. Oh. If you want to. And the, the two-day pass? Um, it's a one-day one pass, day pass. But, and you get a free Dr. Pepper at the soda fountain. What? Yeah. Free Dr. Free Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper at the soda fountain? And now you can use that to get a free Dr. Pepper at the soda fountain, or you can use it to upgrade to a Dr. Pepper float. That'll, uh -oh. that'll give you a dollar off a Dr. Pepper float. Highly recommend a Dr. Pepper float. Dr. Pepper floats are good. Yes. Okay, I'm going to have to give one of those a try. And as we walk through what is basically a courtyard here, you've got a couple of old, or an old Pepsi delivery truck, 1950s style, uh, with the sides that kind of lift up and all of that. Wow. The soda fountain's cool. Thank you. We you've got the red just... and white uh, uh, booth chairs, like what you'd see in the 50s uh diner and yeah our theme in here is actually 1960s and we it, just finished redoing it and that is um all based around our newest exhibit which is this one right behind you it's called sit down to take a stand and it is all about the uh, lunch counter sit-ins in the 1960s oh when um, black americans were not being served in soda fountains and diners and so we experienced that in waco as well so it talks about some of the some of the people who experienced that in Waco um, talk about that on here, but it also talks about it on a national scale as well. And so then we uh, really use that as inspiration to retheme our soda fountain into a 1960s theme because that's when everybody was able to go to the soda fountain. Well, that's cool. I I'm a big I'm a big fan of civil disobedience. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> Rosa Parks. I did a, I did the Rosa Parks Museum in. Uh, Montgomery, Alabama, mm -hmm. because Rosa Parks has always been my hero. She's the ultimate example of civil disobedience. That's right. That's right. Well, it was so interesting when we opened this exhibit, we got to, like I said, hear from, we did a live podcast um, with a woman who um, lived here in Waco, but she went to, um, there was training. They did training um, at another university for the sit-ins, and basically where they would put you through the experience of what you might go through, um, you know, doing this protest. Wow. And then they came back and did the protests here, and it was just fascinating. So they taught you how to put your hands yeah. behind your back to get arrested and that type well, of stuff? Well, trying or? to avoid that. Oh, I mean, okay. It was, all, it was exactly what you said, all about civil disobedience, all about how to, um, to endure it while not um, become ever needing to get arrested, okay. but endure the injustices the, that we're happening yeah. to you. So. I was going to say it's one of those things that that's about the only way, the only power that we have to to change things is through civil disobedience, right. and and the people that want us obedient don't like it. Right. <laughs> well, we have that live podcast. Uh, it's up on online. I would recommend to listen okay. if you like that. Is it on uh, YouTube or where uh, online? I will. I can send you the link to it. I am not. It's been a while since I've 
accessed it, but I can, I can get you the link to it. It's really fascinating. Okay. Yeah, I'd be really interested in listening to that. So okay. the room we're in right now, um, this building is interesting. We're in our other building right now. It is actually older than the bottling plant building. Okay. Um, the bottling plant building was finished in 1906. This building, is, its, original, uh, its earliest portions are from 1882. <coughs> and uh, so it is a very old building. It was a wholesale grocery company. It did not have any affiliation with Dr. Pepper, but it's one of the oldest buildings in downtown. Wow. Uh, and so we were lucky to be able to buy it and restore it to use as uh, part of our museum. But this room was the original vault. Oh, okay. Of uh, the wholesale grocery company. And so they would store, you know, the money or any other valuables. And here we'll go out that door. That's the original vault door. But when we came up with this exhibit, um, it's the treasures of the Dr. Pepper Museum. So we have some of our most valuable or rare items on display in here, and those get rotated out regularly. Okay. Um, and we have these fun cutouts. We had to actually bust through this wall to <laughs> make the flow right. of things better, but you can see how thick the brick walls were. Oh yeah, they're double layered. Yes, you got they two are. <laughs> you got two layers of bricks with a space in between and mm -hmm. another two layers of bricks. So they're probably close to two foot thick. Yes. Yeah, so we really wanted to, because it's hard to kind of envision how old this building is unless you go down in the basement, which is not for public access, so it's hard to, <laughs> uh, hard to envision how old it is, but we wanted to really kind of give some concept to that. But yeah, we just have, we just um, switched these exhibits out um, in time for our uh, Dr. Pepper Collectors Club convention. There is a club of people who... Uh, their passion is collecting Dr. Pepper items, and they have a convention here in Waco each year. So oh, really? we always like to put fun new things out on display for when they come to town. So these are all uh, new out on display as of last week. And, and they must be really hard to get because you've yes. got them in the vault. Yes. You've got some different uh, Dr. Pepper. Are these, what are these? They're, they're cutouts. They've got Dr. Pepper girl on them, or girl drinking Dr. Pepper with 1024 clock in the background. Mm -hmm. so but these the are, way that they're uh, cut out is they're interesting. They're die cut, yes. And uh, we call these the keyhole girls because of the uh, shape of okay. the clock and then the background. And then these two have the Dr. Pepper uh, on the, the Dr. bottom. Dr. Pepper, yeah sign on the bottom of them but they would have been um, like ceiling hangers or fan poles you can see they have little holes oh, okay. on the top of them so they would have been hanging down from like ceiling fans or something in uh, a soda fountain or a diner okay so. and these are really rare I'm assuming yes yes they are mm -hmm. uh, anything cardboard or paper especially from the 1930s uh, would not you know, don't, right. doesn't have a great survival chance. So anytime we can uh, display some original cardboard signs, but these ones in particular, just because of how beautiful they are, um, the girls are beautiful. They are so vibrant and um, just really different scenes in each one. They're some of right. the, some of the more sought after ones. Okay. Yeah. And then some old Schweppes bottles. Yeah, we have old Schweppes bottles. The ones at the entrance right there, those are um, hand-painted uh, mock-ups of ads from the 1920s, I believe. Wow, yeah. All done by the same artist who would have been an advertising artist for uh, Dr. Pepper. So. 
Drink a bite to eat at <laughs> 10, 2, and 4 o'clock. And I don't know, honestly, I mean, I probably could read and find out, but they, uh, I don't know that they were ever actually manufactured. Okay. They were just, you know, mock-ups and, you know, the artist would have given them a bunch of different um, options for different ones that they could produce and these were some of those options, but I'm not sure which ones, if any, were actually produced. Okay. So. And really different because yes. uh, they're not on a computer screen that oh, you no. email to the guy to no. say, do you like it this they're way? Hand, they're, they truly are works of art. They're <laughs> yes, hand, they are. They're hand-drawn and painted. And then down at the end of this, you've got a, a really cool poster. It's uh, Schweppes soda water with an uh, uh, India, Indian lady sitting at the end, kind of like the Godiva or whatever, uh, drinking the soda water. Yeah, so this, uh, I'm going to have to go remind myself of what year it's from on the label, but um, 1900. So, 1900. Uh, that is when the poster's from. It's gigantic, as you can see. Um, my coworker and I, who both have been here for a long time, um, this was our favorite piece that was hanging um, up at the company headquarters for a long time. So we would always go visit her when we went up to the company headquarters, and she was recently... Um, sent down here to live with us so we were thrilled to have her and excited to put her on display and she just makes a really big impact now is this a canvas um, I think it, all, it looks like canvas but I, I can't really tell paper. is it just it paper, just paper. Yeah. and it says gold medal Paris Universal exhibition in 1900 mm -hmm. wow so another one of those big uh, World's Fair kind of right. uh, advertisements for Schleps okay yeah, when we come out here, you can see the original vault door. And some more advertising. And I noticed in there, too, you had some uh, orange crush caps yeah. <laughs> that had little pictures on the inside. Yes, yes. Those are kind of cool. So we actually have quite a big collection of what I like to call folk art objects okay. here, where people have taken different you know, pieces of... Uh, you know, bottles or crates or cans or anything and made different interesting things out of them. So we have those um, objects out on display occasionally. But Okay. And this is a rotating display also, or is it, are these ones so permanent? These, yeah, these rotate. These bottles um, are, they just are little vignettes of the different adver advertising decades. Okay. Dutch Pepper changed its advertising and logo about every decade. They're pr relatively consistent with that. And so these bottles kind of showcase that. And yeah, we have obviously a ton of stuff from each of those um, oh, decades. Oh, sure. So we change those out regularly. And then in here is that 7-Up uh, mock bottling line I was talking about. Oh, wow. So this bottling line was actually in uh, the world of Coke when it was in Las Vegas. Uh, okay. Before it moved permanently to Atlanta. And so it was originally a Coca-Cola uh, Coca bottling line. But... Um, we repurposed it and um, turned it into a 7-Up bottling line, and we are using it to tell the story of 7-Up franchising and 7-Up, and but also one of the um, biggest uh, uh, bottlers in the state um, who are supporters of ours and um, have been on our board at various times. Their family is, um, has a rich history in 7-Up bottling line, or 7-Up okay. bottling, so... And you've got a lot of 7-Up stuff here. Mm -hmm. And the line is uh, on a timer, so it will 
Oh, it, it actually runs. It runs, but you, I don't know if you can kind of tell there are bottles on the line in various stages of completion, and they just kind of rotate in their spot, showing you kind of what it would look like, but the actual bottling process is not happening. Okay, yeah. That is way cool. That's an interesting setup. You've got the old wooden boxes <laughs> for the 7-Up bottles. and mm -hmm. What era would have this been? 1950s? 40s? I think 30s or 40s. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is when the... the these are reproduction bottles, but when the right, but this is but this is early automation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then, in the rest of the gallery, we really talk about transportation, um, which we kind of touch on over in the other building. Right. But we have our um, our big uh, our big wagons over here um, that would have shown you how they would cart the big barrels of Dr Pepper syrup um, to different places, or the Dr Pepper bottles to different places. Now, did they put them like in 55-gallon uh, whiskey barrel type? Kind of, yes. This wagon actually used to have the barrels in it, but when it was outside, and when we brought it inside and um, restored it, we um, didn't have the barrels back in it just for safety reasons. Okay. But, um, yeah, so... And you've got a truck mm -hmm. in here, and... Oh, this is a cool wagon. <laughs> this is a... It, it's a, like your buckboard wagon, I guess. Mm -hmm. but uh, or freight wagon, but it's got uh, th three different layers in it for putting your bottles and some mm -hmm. of that kind of stuff. It's really pretty cool. So all of the wagons that you see in here, they're not original to Dr. Pepper, um, but we uh, restored them based on photographs we have of okay. uh, wagons very similar to each of them um, being used in or around this building. Um, okay. And then we're also, um, we in this building are directly on a railroad track um, on the far side of our building, so we get to hear the train go by about 15 times a day. Um, but the railroad was a really important um, aspect of uh, oh, distribution sure. for Dr. Pepper and on the other side of the original bottling plant building. So our two buildings are... Um, bordered on both sides by railroad tracks. The okay. one on the other side of the building isn't active anymore, um, but the one on this side is, so we talk about that here as well. well that's cool. Yeah, and you've got, some old, yeah. you've got some old toys. And we have a lot of transportation-themed stuff, so this stuff uh, gets switched out often as well. I've never seen a, a Dr. Pepper moon wagon. Oh, yes, the moon wagon. How, how have I not ever seen that? <laughs> Uh, it's it a wagon a, that's circular, yes, kind of like your red flyer, item. but yeah. uh, it's got a handle so you can sit in it and steer instead of like the old uh, mm -hmm. uh, radio flyer wagon that you had to have your hand way up front. Right. This one's designed to sit in it and, and uh, cruise down hills and kill yourself. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have a Dr. Pepper helmet back in the day. No, no. They just wish kids <laughs> or arm uh, the best of luck and sent them out there on the moon wagon, I think. Uh, but yeah, it was a promotional prize. So. Wow, that um, is really interesting. And then you can see the advertising uh, reproductions on the wall. Um, yes. So, wow. lots of fun, fun it Dr. Is. Pepper transportation stuff. And then we have a, a mock, uh, not a mock train set, a model train set here um, that was created by one of our board members that has a lot of fun details in it. Um, and the train is also on a schedule and it will go by. 
And it's got all kinds of Dr. Pepper yes. stuff. It's theme, like, it's theme. Like well, those, Seven like, Up and, and other themes too. It's like I a guess. little Where's Waldo of yeah. fun uh, details to look at, definitely. And then the rest of the space is what we call our experience spaces. Okay. Um, when the pandemic hit, we were forced to kind of pivot a little bit, okay. which was, um, it turns out, not a bad thing because it gave us a chance to really look at uh, what our visitors were asking us that they wanted to do when they were here. And the number one thing on everyone's list was to be able to make your own soda. Oh, really? People want to make their own soda when they come. <laughs> so during uh, the pandemic, we, we were open. We were only shut down about a month and a half during okay. the pandemic. And then we reopened. And during that time, we introduced our experiences. The flagship one is our Make a Soda program. Um, which you can uh, book online in advance and sign up for when you come. We also have our Taste the Soda program, which is uh, you can be kind of a consumer taste tester, and we do blind taste tests. Really? Some weird and interesting flavors, like the, the celery Like the soda. celery. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we also have our Extreme Pepper Experience, which is actually the only way you can get a true guided tour of the museum like I'm doing with you today is okay. if you sign up for an extreme pepper experience. Those are very popular for like birthday presents or things like that with people who love Dr. Pepper. Okay. Um, so that's, you can also add on a, a tour of our collections areas. So you can get to see behind the scenes on, um, you know, all of our rooms of stuff. How which cool is, very, is that? Um, popular with people who love Dr. Pepper. They want to see all the stuff. Um, so those are kind of um, at the end of the day, we offer those every week. Um, it's not an after hours tour, but um, kind of at the end of the day uh, tour for those. And then we also have our paranormal tours. You got paranormal stuff we, going here? Oh, sure. <laughs> we, both of our buildings are uh, certified haunted locations. And really? We've had uh, different uh, paranormal investigations here over the years. And then we have always um, hosted different paranormal groups. But we, again, when we were kind of deciding, okay, what do people want to do when they come? What do we want to offer? Um, having regular paranormal investigation opportunities for our visitors. And why the paranormal here? I mean, you know, everybody People didn't thinks, blow up from carbonated <laughs> water. No, everybody thinks old buildings are haunted, no matter what. Okay. Um, and I mean, you know, this space, this land that these buildings are built on have been inhabited by people long before these buildings were here. So, okay. um, you know, there's always the chance of some spiritual activity happening. Um, like I said, we are certified haunted locations, which means the investigators that certified us, they, they did find enough evidence where they feel like there is some paranormal activity happening here. Um, I've worked here a very long time and spent a lot of time by myself in both of these buildings, and I feel totally safe and fine, so it's not uh, anything scary. It's just an opportunity to really be in the building with a small group of people at night, and people are very passionate about paranormal um, it seems to be a really big thing yes. right now. It, um, it, it's kind of everywhere. So we do that about twice a month normally, and then in October we do it every Friday and Saturday night. Okay. So, yeah, so this space right here for the Make a Soda and Taste a Soda, um, we actually expanded this space last year. Um, it was a lot smaller, um, and we expanded it to what you see so we can accommodate more people every day for our experiences. Well, from what I saw yesterday... You had to accommodate a lot of <laughs> yes, people. Yes, we were fully booked Yesterday this week was, for everything. Yesterday was insane. Um, but so it's spring break. It is spring break, yes. This is truly one of our busiest weeks of the entire year. So. 
and I just happened to. Yeah, you just happened. And to, again, to walk I really in. appreciate <laughs> you I mean, I really, uh, taking the time. Yeah, I was worried about y'all, um, but I'm uh, glad you made it out okay and got back. <laughs> so obviously, this building was not affiliated with Dr. Pepper. There was not a actual soda fountain in this building, but okay. um, the room in the other building where they. Uh, where we do the ticket sales now is where we used to have the soda fountain in the other building before we expanded. And this is a much bigger space and can accommodate more people. And we are the original home of the Dr. Pepper float. We okay. Our specialty are Dr. Pepper floats and big red floats. And that is what we do here. So you can get a handmade drink um, or a and handmade And this place float. has to be really busy. It's very busy, which is why we also opened the float trailer, which you can see in the courtyard, okay. to kind of help alleviate some of the stress in here on busy days. We also take the trailer, you know, the trailer is available for rent, so we can take it to different events and things like that as well. But okay. when we're really busy, we keep the trailer here and <laughs> divide up the traffic a little bit between the two places. So. Well, Mary Beth, I so appreciate you taking your time today, especially with as busy as what you guys are right now. Not a problem. And showing us through the facility and and telling us about Dr. Pepper and the other soft drinks that you guys talk about. I didn't realize that it was a across-the-board museum with mm -hmm. a high emphasis on Dr. Pepper. But I always finish out my podcast by saying, the world is full of wonder. People need to get out and explore. There's Absolutely. stuff like this in lots of these small towns. Take the time and visit. It is so intriguing and so much fun. And everybody have an absolutely wonder-filled day. Thank you so much. All the roll and go, where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?